0: Oh, and welcome to the AEW Dynamite preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Havreau and Michael Sidgwick here. Talk so ahead to AEW Dynamite Fighter Fest. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Where we not only review AEW Dynamite but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but Super- oh, <laughs> premium live events. We have interviews. Roundtable discussions and a roundup of the week complete with the money. quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, that joined by hamper and Sid. look ahead to AEW Dynamite Fighter Fest
1: Night One. And what a card we've got, siege Yeah, it looks absolutely fantastic. And I don't mean to be like absolutely unjustifiably cynical or, you know, maybe the word is superstitious. I remember, right, the last time I saw a graphic or a collection of graphics, like, Boom! This was um, can you remember? Um, it was either just before or after the original Blood and Guts, and it was like Pack versus Orange Cassidy, Miro versus Darby Allen, and there was like two other matches that were like Jesus Christ. And then it kind of went awry because Pack and Orange Cassidy was cursed, um, mm-hmm. and they did the Jericho. He's back after a week. Yes, it was the week after Blood and Guts um, because I remember. Chris Jericho doing like the, the bubbly bath instead of the beer bath or the milk bath. And it's like, come on, lads. Like don't do this sports entertainment angle after you've already sports entertainmented blood and guts and sports entertainment doesn't really do selling. And it was just all, Ugh. it's a very superstitious take of this, but basically it's more my anxiety informing my opinion in that. I think this could be about a nine or a 10, Absolutely, it could be a nine or a 10. I'm just a little bit scared that it won't be because my anxiety is telling me so when I've got no real logical reason. There's actually one thing on this card that I'm slightly worried about, but we'll get there as and when it comes.
2: Yeah, it's I, I kind of get where Sage is coming from. We've been talking about this over the desks in the last couple of days. They are. It feels almost like you're doomed at this point. For something to be a letdown on a card where everything appears like it's going to bang, um, it's a, I guess it's just a reality of a show where everything's loaded. The fans might come down for something, and that can then rub off on the wrestlers who just can't get the show back rolling again. And sometimes it, it's a second. It was like so common for a while, wasn't it? When like the first hours were just unbelievable fireworks displays, that the second hours felt like they would just had gone off a cliff and there was no way back. That would often happen because the thing in the middle just didn't hit. And then everything else wasn't really able to drag it back up to the excitement of the first hour so it could go that way it could go a completely different way we've had dynamites pretty much everywhere if you plot over the last six months the different qualities of dynamites there will have been every version of an AEW dynamite in 2022 so I, I do get where he's coming from there um but i'm you know i share the enthusiasm for almost all of the card and at least in one case um you know, Tony Khan has done it again. There was a graphic drop early this week, where it's just that cartoonish, rubbing your eyes, can't quite believe what you're looking at. In terms, you know, in terms of the the non-title, <laughs> yeah, the John Moxley to match, there are absolutely discussions to be had on the logic of how it's happened, other than John Moxley strong arm and Tony Khan. But I'm glad it's there. Like, whilst they may be in something of a booking funk that we hope they're pulling themselves out of. At least they'll be the unbelievable pairings and graphics factory that you can be with this bloated and incredible roster. Uh, let's start with the two championship matches, then,
0: Sige. Uh, triple or nothing for the AW tag team titles. The Young Bucks defending against Swerving Our Glory uh, and uh, Starks and Hobbs. Starks cutting an amazing promo on the road to yet again. Uh, who's your money on here, Sige?
1: Uh, I'm one of the Young Bucks, but the purely because every single world title belt of renown outside of wwe could be all to play for at all out um between the books and ftr so i don't know if you'd want to take that off the table or like minimize it in some way by taking the premier prize out of that equation at the same time um it's almost too much of a luxury that it's a fantasy book match that we don't even know is happening yet but it's one of those where it just feels like it's such a great idea that everyone collectively agrees on it but at the same time if you do all that and have one team win every single belt it can never be as good as you think it can be in it's in your head because they have to lose those titles subsequently so like the the luster of an ftr being like what eight star ftr or whatever and then now they kind of have to drop the roh or then political meet political stuff means they have to drop the IWGP or whatever. So it's kind of almost too good to be true. Um I know it hasn't happened yet, but whatever. There's basically I'm trying to plant doubts in my head of that match not happening. So I'd like to feel a little bit of drama for this one. And hopefully Ricky Stark's promo on road two go and watch it. Even by his standards, the amount of belief this man has in his ability, his character that it's his time is so unshakable. Speaks with such conviction that you think that's a man who's getting belted up this week, and he goddamn knows it, and he's trying to tell you without giving away the result. If in fact Starks and Hobbs do not win this title tonight, that has to be considered one of the best AEW promos because he's just got such conviction, and that's genius working because he's made me think. Well, if you think this is your time, and you are so steadfast in your belief and so convincing, then I'm right. It is. It is. I'm gonna. I'm going to absolutely bite on every single near forward. A masterwork of for promo.
0: Am I right in thinking, Sid? Did I read somewhere? It might just have been on Twitter. So I don't know if this is 100% confirmed that there is going to be some sort of all out announcement on tonight's show.
1: Yeah, I think it's just that we already know the date. And um, so I think it's just the venue. Okay. Um, possibly the United Center. I don't know. Um, I know Tony Khan has said um, frequently that there are certain pay per views that he wants to promote in the same city is a tradition every single year. Um, full Gear's flexible, Revolution's flexible, but um, he always wants Double or Nothing to be in Vegas. Obviously the pandemic meant it couldn't happen for two of the four years so far. And he always wants All Out to be Chicago. So I'd be shocked if it isn't Chicago. I think the only um, element of doubt at this point is whether or not he's gonna go for the United Center. Or oh, what's the other one, Allstate? Um, just based on the Forbidden Door gate and how successful it was. And if you've got an idea that Punk could be ready or is more likely than not being ready, it obviously book the United Centre, obviously. Mm. Then again, Punk did all stay in the TV match against MJF before Revolution, and that didn't sell out. So who the hell knows, but pay-per-view's different, of course. So that's probably going to happen tonight. But yeah, I do think the Bucks are going to win this just because the allure of that FTR Everyone already thinks it's going to be two out of three falls as well. It's just one of those matches that kind of has to happen at this point. And so, go on last.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's a pay, payoff to the young books wanting to make tag wrestling the main event. Again, the whole package is just gift wrapped, isn't it? The whole thing is.
1: Absolutely gift wrapped, absolutely. So I think the books are going to win and a uh, bit of a hot take here. I think this match is going to be fantastic. Yes. There's going to be yeah. all different layers to it. Um, obviously, the tension between Swerve and our glory. Has been intensifying in recent weeks and this might in fact be the catalyst for that split so i expect there'll be lots of um drama there the young books can create absolutely absurd just total and utter deafening noise in terms of drama and crowd reaction by simply working a mid-card match against anyone on any episode of tv so that should be great um watching keith lee and the young books interact should be absolutely fantastic as well I fancy book the spot where Um, Starks and Swerve are kind of selling after they do a sequence on the outside Um, and Hobbs and Lee each have a young bug, sort of by the tights and by the uh, shoulder. Then Lee and Hobbs look at each other and then they sort of try and out the other. (laughs) You get this image of Matt and Nick Jackson like both doing these absolutely crazed somersault bumps at the same time. So I think that'd be a great idea because it would be a great bump. It would sort of give the idea that, oh, you can't really call this one because Hobbs and Lee are equally as powerful. Um, if I don't get that spot, I'll be expecting stuff similarly inspired. Yes, I am just calling my own um, fantasy book and inspired, but there you go. Um, This should be absolutely majestic, like right up there with the other um, amazing three ways we've seen for the tag team titles on pay-per-view this year. My only concern legitimately is that Keith Lee in Strickland that looked off against Butcher and the Blade. And you'd hope that there's a you would hope, sorry, that it's an aberration and that it's not the start of a decline or anything daft like that. Like some things just go badly on the night. We've seen it with the Lucha Bros. Um, realistically, we've even seen it with FTR before this run of form. I've never seen it once with the Young Bucks since they left TNA, when they were still really young lads. I don't think I've ever seen it once with them where a match they've been in has kind of fallen apart. So they should be the glue here. It should be guaranteed to be great because they're in it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully last week was just an aberration because usually you go into these matches and sing right. You're going to get a sense that it's four and a half stars at least within three minutes of a Young Bucks match. But last week, to be fair and consistent, not just a fawning Young Bucks mark, that was a little bit worrying.
0: Hanflet, I sense you probably agree with Siege in terms of who wins, but is this the last night we see swerving our glory together for you? I think so,
2: and I think that's the main thing that's stopping me being quite as on the hook after the Ricky Starks promo, in truth. It feels, I know it's dynamite, so if there was ever a wrestling show where they could attempt to do six things at once, even if realistically you you can't, and you shouldn't, and it's bad practice, it could be here. But it sort of feels like the match exists for the Young Bucks. Well, it exists to be cool, you know, it exists to be like an awesome television match and another advertisement for the Young Bucks believe in their own hype as the best tag team in the world, which is really important. The, just because Young Bucks FTR3 builds itself, it doesn't mean you can't continue to build it with both of them effectively being competitively the best with one another in other matches. You know, if the Young Bucks wrestle and win this match, and this match is a total ripper, that's a dent in FTR's argument that they're the best, even though they're one's carrying all the belts. So then FTR have to go out next week and have a total killer of a match against the Briscoes defending the Ring of Honor tag titles and be like, well, actually, no, we're the best. And it's the best this is the best and all that sort of stuff so this match can can still contextually exist for the benefit of the ftr match even if we know at the moment it's sort of dulling this match is Blade somewhat because you can't foresee a title change if you can't foresee a title change then yes do the split long answer to your question it can exist as a background for that i do love that spot of keith lee and hobbs in the middle trying to out yeet the elite you know this like one last great visual of keith lee the tag wrestler before we, I guess, get to see through the Swerve feud what he's maybe got, what he really has to offer. That the start of something proper for him as a singles wrestler. Because I'm not—that's not to denigrate tag wrestling as such. It's just that I think, like you've said this as well, Sid. Like they were put together because they're an inconvenience, and they're going to be split apart because they're an inconvenience. We yet to see either of them really existing under their own steam. And if nothing else, like splitting the tag team up can be the start of that. Maybe, maybe the feud that this was always destined to be is going to be worth the fact that they were put together to make it, you know, maybe, maybe like Keith Lee. And so when you think about it, like the, the potential ceiling for the quality of that match might make a lot of this stuff worth it.
0: Uh, not the only championship match tonight though, as I said, TNT title on the line, Wardlow defending his newly won prize against Orange Cassidy. I Cassidy. This is one of those matches I think you'd describe as neither mine can really afford to lose.
2: Yeah. I, I kind of, like a couple of times now i've tried to make up my mind on this but my gut feeling is i just don't like it that's like deep in my guts my feeling is i just don't like that this has been booked i love um that they put the belt on wardlow like they did it probably before it was just too late they've done it and i i this is a personal thing for me i've never felt as strongly as i do for orange cassidy and for just how How high Orange Cassidy can fly in AEW, regardless of what I thought about the gimmick, I was never going to deny how over it was. I was never going to deny what an objective draw it was. And even then, I thought the ceiling was like mid-card title. And isn't it awesome that they took this thing that people thought couldn't be done in a mainstream weekly television show and made him worthy of like a title that meant something. I've gone now so far the other way that I think he can be worthy of the title. Right now, to me, Orange Cassidy should be about to enter in a singles feud, like a program that means something, so that he has a singles match at All Out, wins it, and then has basically made himself part of the title conversation coming out the backside of that. I'm not suggesting he wins it, but you want to book at least one big match where he might, and they've kind of, I don't know, they've lowered the glass ceiling here by making him a TNT contender, and I'm aware there's um, a bit of ladder match law, Like Orange Cassidy's been out of action as a result of sustained injury in the match where Wardlow became the face of the revolution. They'll probably lean on that. Uh, Wardlow is going to be the guy that wants to take on all comers, baby faces included. You know, it helps his baby face um, aura to be the guy that takes on everybody as a TNT champion. He's, I know it's very, very Mr. Perfect Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, of him wanting to bring back the prestige of the TNT title, but this is the way to do it. Taking on AEW's top guys, you can't fake this kind of thing. You can't put him against What's the complaint we have every week? You know, wrestler A is gonna win, wrestler B is gonna lose. So you can't start the rebuilding the TNT title by putting him against a guy that's a banker to beat. So in that sense, I really like the booking, but it's why I'm talking myself in circles because I'm genuinely worried that how hot Orange Cassidy at the moment is, is gonna dilute Wardlow's cheers. I, I completely get why they've done it, but I think it's a real, like, it's a bit of a hornet's nest that I'm not sure I would have kicked just yet. And, Finally, I'm sorry. I'm all over the place with this. Okay. I also think the match will rule, so I get why they've done it for that reasons as well. It's such a tricky one to to pass.
1: This is very strange, and this is going to sound very counterintuitive, right? But literally everyone who I've seen talk about this on Twitter, um, which is a decent sample, not to be fair, completely representative of the entire AEW fandom. You know, it's a decent sample. Pretty much everyone I've seen has went, oh this is a really cool thing to look at but is it a good idea and if everyone is thinking the same thing um Orange Cassidy being so hot popular as he is against a guy who's had a better 2022 elsewhere is probably going to undermine his title title reign before he even gets started Tony Khan and those closest to him whose input he seeks like you you know your QT Marshalls your Mookie's, etc between them they are clearly of going to have have had the exact same thought when putting together the match like khan's probably thought he's not an idiot he knows exactly what he's doing most of the time he's clearly when debate whether to promote this or book it or whatever has said oh is it a good idea so they know this they can't not know that people really like both men and all babyface matches are a risk um and all the rest of it so i think being a great matchmaker that he is, and he remains an incredible matchmaker, if not peak powers of his booking. I just think he's got a really cool match in mind that both men can get over. I think he thinks that they can put something together that's going to get less kind of, um, oh, don't really know who to cheer for here. I think he's got a dueling chance, mini TV fun masterpiece on his hands here. Otherwise, I just don't think he would take the risk because he, he must know the risk. Everyone feels the risk um so yeah i just think they could put something together really special like orange cassidy going up for the power bomb putting his hands in his pockets and then doing sort of a a uh Runner into a victory roll pin or something like that like there's loads they can do and it's just too weird and risky to do if they haven't got a certain assurance that this can go really well like these it's self-destructive almost booking this but it can't be because they're cleverer than that would love to retain for both of you <clears throat> yes but as Hamza points out the idea that cassidy's so hot does in fact resolve a complaint that i do have most weeks where it's like yeah great match but i can kind of understand why the rating for this week wasn't as hot as you'd think because ultimately people do want drama that's why wwe wins they are corny here every single week by either not following through with the match that they've announced or it turns into a tag match or it goes to a count out. But WWE wins, I think, by putting really established stars together in TV matches. People have complained about this for years, saying our dilutes pay-per-views or makes pay-per-views not special. It doesn't really affect the TV ratings this year whatsoever. Um, so this is their version of trying to do all-star action. And every now and then I very, very much welcome it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I think Wardlow wins, um, and hopefully clean. And they've just got. I guess like you've got to really trust the process with the Orange Cassidy element of this. I, I campaign for this every week because I'm still just looking for it for Wardlow's benefit. But maybe Wardlow and the Aviators giving it the uh, like the thumbs up at the end gets a similar kind of reaction to Shibata or something like that, um, where perhaps the best friends, the best friends, become his first friends. You know, like I don't particularly want him hanging out with those losers, but he does need running guys eventually. Everyone in in AW needs somebody, you know. So maybe a mutual respect is formed with Orange Cassidy here, and that's his first somebody. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
0: Finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over five million users and has helped save its members an average of seven hundred and twenty dollars a year, with over five hundred million dollars in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to RocketMoney.com/wrestling. That's RocketMoney.com/wrestling. RocketMoney.com Slash Wrestling. We've also got. This is heavily exactly focused on the uh, on the road to uh, former tag team partners colliding tonight. sig Claudio Castagnoli versus Jake Hager. We're also going to hear from Chris
1: Jericho. Uh, but first, your thoughts on the match, Sige? Uh, I worry about this. It seems strange. It's Claudio Castagnoli's first AEW TV singles match, right? I was very much conflicted about whether they should or should not sign and um, Claudio just because the roster is so big Um as it happens they've hired him in the most ideal way imaginable considering what was going to happen and how brilliantly he deputized in that storyline so it was a perfect signing short term at least in the end never of those doubts have had anything to do with his in-ring ability i think he's an absolutely incredible wrestler i just don't think he has The Intangibles as a top star that some people seem to insist that he does. Regardless, I think his in-ring ability is phenomenal. Of course it is. It's almost objectively provable (laughs) at this point. My only worry is that I thought the match with Zack Sabre Jr. at Forbidden Door was excellent. But at the same time, if that show wasn't quite as euphoric as it was, I would say that it was the most minor of disappointments in the most spoiled way of... They probably had better in them, to be honest. And I think the way that he emphasised his power did. That's the thing. He emphasised his power a lot during that match when Claudio was actually a great technical wrestler. Now, I think that was laid out by design because obviously it informed the ZSJ promo afterwards where he said, that wasn't technical wrestling. I can still leave this match thinking I'm the best technical wrestler in the world because this big Swiss oaf just uses brute strength to beat me. There was nothing technical about that. So I think the, the match was laid out in that specific way for a very um deft political purpose so that daniel uh, saber junior lost nothing of his big technical glow and mastery about him at the same time is that generous and does claudio who's obviously is a big lad in wwe have to emphasize his power over his technique more often than not like his matches weren't intricate they were like blockbuster spectacles does was that match laid out the way it was Was that a political consideration, or does Claudio still have what some AEW guys, uh, former WWE guys have coming to AEW, and they still have their WWE brains on? And this has been a bit of a, not an issue, because it always, almost invariably corrects itself. There is precedent of this happening where they don't realise you can go out and do the most intricate, nerdy pro wrestling match you like, and they eventually get it, and you can wrestle in a different character if you think it's the best version of yourself the freedom. If you remember, Pac versus Hangman Page on the very first Dynamite it was like, oh, that was incredibly solid and physical, but it was a bit slow and drab because Pac still had that mindset of, I'm working on American television. Um, Miro wasn't really a unique performer for his first few matches. Um, we've seen it time and time again. I worry that Claudio is gonna take a month to realize, oh, hang on, I can do what I want to be amazing. There's no regulations. And it's not held by the fact that Jake Hager is probably one of the wrestlers who has never realized this. Mm -hmm. And he's great as a tag guy and as a stable guy and as a henchman. But in singles, he works what really feel like WWE matches. And I think the crowd will be up for it, which will carry it through. But I don't think you'll get anywhere near a glimpse in this match of what Claudio can do in AEW. I just feel like it's going to be a very enthusiastically received Gentleman's 3, and that's probably enough on a tv show like this but i would be wary of expecting anything really special here
2: yeah i mostly agree i hope it's not like a dud i I just think it's it'd be disappointing for like claudio so soon into a run that has been so well received and rightfully so and he's been focused upon as well you know um i just think it'd be a disappointment if it was a bore because they're both big guys the crowd have responded really well to the reminders of the All Americans, and you know they—they were a tag team that I didn't have particular stock in, but enough people did to care about seeing these two together and chanting "We the People." It's the "We the People" paradox, isn't it? Like Swagger was barely over doing that chant, and yet that chant was so hot that it creates this idea that that gimmick was super over, um, and it should carry this. And obviously, you know, Claudio Castagnoli is no slouch, even if he is still like if he is exactly as Sidrick's describing. That's still quite good because of his high standard. So, like, hopefully it's just not a bust. The, you know, the Chris Jericho element, I haven't seen a graphic for this. We'll hear from Chris Jericho is that's just pretty much what they're advertising. Yeah, yeah. Because I like I've sort of fashioned a way that this plays out. Like I expect Castagnoli to beat Hager. Um, but in the aftermath of the match, the Jericho Appreciation Site to run down and deck him. Uh I think Chris Jericho might do commentary for this and just be putting over Hager throughout and f- full of beans and energetic and all the rest of it. So the J's uh, attacking uh, Claudio after the bell and Eddie Kingston comes out to make the save. Only he takes a look at the ring and he sees Claudio getting absolutely mugged by like five guys. And then instead just turns to the desk and has barbed wire in his hand and goes to like lacerate Chris Jericho with a barbed wire at the desk. And they play with like, Steve Austin used to do this in 97 with the Heart Foundation. He could save Mankind or Shawn Michaels in the ring from the hearts. But Brett was on the ramp in his wheelchair and it's just not Austin. Austin's not this like he's not come out to be a hero, baby face. He's come out to get his guy <laughs> and it, it kind of plays on this nice idea that like, yeah, Kingston and Claudio are cool and everything's fine with that. And you can just it's that sort of plausible deniability. Well, I was coming out to get Jericho. Sorry, man, like I'll save you another day. I'm out here with my own sort of like battles. I've got to fight because they have done quite a good job here of using the end of the Jericho story to tell the start of the Claudio one. So I think that would be a nice detail barbed wire, obviously, because of next week. And the, just to show you a little glimpse of the violence you're going to get. And then, of course, the Jericho appreciation site. You see what's happening to Jericho. So leave Claudio alone entirely, run like to make the save. That, ex- that justifies the existence of the shark cage the next week. And then Kingston can be like, well, you know, they stopped sacking you in the end. So no, in a way, I, I was there for you. <laughs> and just Little things like that to all to, all to set up next week, which we know is happening because of a TV tie in, but they might as well have some fun with the build to it all the same. Is that what you think is going to happen,
1: Sage? uh well, Claudio's going to win, they will incorporate this match into the Kingston Jericho build, and I imagine they will do it deftly. Uh,
0: we've also got a championship contenders match tonight. Uh, the interim AW world champion John Moxley, uh, facing the guy fresh off the back of a loss to Eddie Kingston on Rampage, Konosuke Kakeshta. Um, I'm saying that to why people obviously at hand but I, I mean, me and Sige were cock-a-hoop about that match between the two of them on, on Friday night. So what did you make of it, first of all? I loved it. I absolutely
2: loved it. Like, I, I kind of wish he'd been booked better when they could afford him to beat some guys, because Takeshita's run has been fantastic, other than the fact that he's not been able to pick up any wins or, like, much in the way of meaningful uh, momentum, you know? Like, if they'd have had him going two or three times more than he did, you could have given him some, like, a couple of mid-card wins on Dynamite that would have made all of this feel a bit more logical. Of course, he's going to lose to Eddie Kingston, that's, that's fine. Like, he's a kind of a special guest at the moment. Kingston's a regular. Kingston's constantly on upward, upward trend, you know. Um, but I'd love to catch his run. I love the match. Super physical. Like, it must have been such a buzz for Eddie Kingston to be able to get to work that style of match as well. Like, he, he incorporates it into his matches, but not many of them are entirely styled that way. So it was really awesome to get to watch that. Um, and I will buy the line that Moxley wanted the match, and Takesh is like, oh, class, I get this match with John Moxley, even though in every other sense, Championship Contenders is a little bit abusive of the ranking system. There is a distinctly, uh, and I like this for, for this reason, there is a distinctly 2019 NXT. Whoa, look at that match, I want that match. Like, we're, we're losing a ratings war, but look at these two wrestlers' vibe to this graphic. Felt it straight away, and it's that similar buzz and that same excitement, but AEW haven't got a war to worry about waging, uh, some, and like Tekesha, I'm assuming, is not going to be around for too much longer, so it's them just like milking it dry while they can. I love it. Moxley's going to win, um, but I have no idea what kind of match to expect from it. Uh, we did our podcast, which you can find in the feed, recently on you know who's the wrestler of the year so far. And one of the things that's really just let to the forefront for Moxley for me this year is how the thought he was applying to the finishing stretches of his matches have become the entire match. So he was the guy that could beat you several different ways. If he had to beat you with brawling, if he had to beat you by learning a new submission hold, if he had to beat you by just outfighting you, gutting his way at the end, you could do it. He's instead started incorporating that from the first minute. He wrestles every bit of that match. He's kind of, you're getting a bit of G1 Moxley now. In his regular week to week wrestling because he adapts himself in kayfabe to the confines of his challenge and i just cannot wait to see how that adaption plays out here like i i think i think the result is predictable but i unlike most predictable AEW dynamite matches i don't think it's predictable in the way that's going to impact the quality
1: yeah with a very generous bit of headcanon i can absolutely buy this match one primarily because i really wanted to happen but i do like the idea of the linking of people having interior lives so the idea that um Mox and Kingston have had a conversation backstage after Rampage and said, Jesus Christ, that lad's amazing. And Mox is like, well, I need to fight because he's the fighting champion. He's like, if he's as good as you say, Eddie, like I need to test myself against this guy. And I love the existence in general. I talk about this quite often. The existence in general of a um, Eliminator match is just as a device. I think it's fantastic. It gives everything a little bit of stakes, um, but it's never just a convenient way to build a match. That goes, that just completely makes a mockery of the ranking system.
2: Sorry to interrupt. Has a champion ever lost an eliminator?
1: Um, I don't know because the champions barely lose in general. Who Um, says did? Right. That's why they do it WWE Dickhead, to make them lose. It's a device to lose. This is a device that makes you think they can
2: lose without making champions lose. It's so cool, isn't it? Titles. Yeah, it's so Mm. cool. I remember the first time they did it, and it was like, I think it was the Young Bucks with the tag belts. It's like, they won, because they're the best. (laughs) It's brilliant. It's it's good. I'll
1: add an underrated banger as well, (laughs) and that was along similar lines. But yeah, I love the existence of it, because it just means that doesn't have to be a convenience or contrivance but when it does happen it'll mean something because the title matches are hard to win even the eliminator matches are hard to win so i do love it as a device um but what i was going to say uh i forgot what i was going to say but i think the match itself is going to bang as well obviously moxie's going to win um what i think they will play within the thread is what i love about john moxie's work now is that he's sort of consciously Realizing that one is his own performer, and two, the whole bloated, like false finish, false finish, <laughs> false finish. How you say? Sure? I think he's realizing that's oh, getting a bit lame now. It's getting a bit overdone, and he's completely his own unique animal. So he wrestles by linking his offense and just constantly going for submissions and his grapples very early. It's like it's got the urgency of a. Of a combat sports thing i love that i love mm. that he's not just kicking out of everything and staring at his hands or doing the fall down at the same time You know, this is awesome chad it's completely different and frankly better wrestler than those who rely on these same devices but i think they can play with that where moxie's trying to put this young explosive like indefatigable guy away by like applying arm bars and straight jackets and all the rest of it and I think Takeshta's is going to like really power out of them, like the bicep mm-hmm. curls and from the arm bar. And Moxie's going to be like, oh shit, this usually works every single time. It's not working against this guy. He's too much of a beast. And then he can pummel him in the face, and there's loads they can do. And I expect this match to be tremendous.
0: Got an idea for a finish. I don't think I'm going to go for it, but i it physically impossible? No, it's actually it's actually quite logical for me. Francis, you're talking about it there because, like you say, I love that um Takesh to... Uh, Kingston match for Friday, but eventually got put down with the spinning backfist, of course. So, why if you're Moxley, wouldn't you integrate that into your arsenal and keep trying to go for it? And then, how do you get out of the way of a spinning backfist? You duck, which puts you right in position for a huge paradigm shift. But, I don't think they're going to do that, but that's just an idea.
1: One more thing on the Takeshita, it Like, since Satya who said it, I see a lot of people going, oh, it would be nice to give them a win. I think they're consciously going for a sort of a kibashi adjacent push where if you're not familiar kenta Kabashi you'll know the name if you've never seen him works he's such a legend he was specifically consciously booked and i know Takesh just went on dark a few times so it's not quite the same that's why i said adjacent but he was booked to lose his first 63 singles matches in all japan and it's quite a routine thing in japanese wrestling in the dojo system um, but it was more pronounced with Kabashi, where every single time he got a bit more on the comeback or he got a bit more of a fire up on the no cells or whatever and it just was such a gradually increasing thing that was like the perfect example of booking show no tell like oh if we support him that bit more you'll fire up a bit more and we mm. can make it happen for him and it formed this absolutely incredible symbiotic relationship between Kabashi and the fans so I do think this it may be a bit of an inspiration from that with this to push.
2: I also I'm wondering here does uh to get a little bit of colour does he bleed And then do they treat Takesh there as he goes back to DDT as like the human equivalent of the All-Atlantic title for the Blackpool Combat Club? Like he becomes, you know, like Wheelie has gone off and done the best of Super Juniors already since joining. Like, is he a guy? Having worked, having pushed Eddie Kingston to the limit, he's a friend of those guys, and then bled with John Moxley as is the kind of initiation. (laughs) uh, Does he then return? And kind of, is he permitted to take the T-shirt with him, as it were, you know, and occasionally brought in 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 a similar role again like if they were ever to use him again is he a guy that's then known as one of theirs he's got a fair amount of time left though that's the thing
1: which is okay. good
2: all right good. That's good. um
1: it's wednesday night you know what
0: that means aw don might but also sig it's ladies night anna j challenging serena Deeb.
1: yeah um look anna j i think has regressed somewhat um she had a great match against um Randy Rhodes and she had a great match against um, Hikaru Shida in 2021 and she had a great match in 2020 and a great match against Jay Cargill earlier Mm -hmm. this year but ultimately a talent like that needs reps and when you don't get them you get Rusty and uh, the match at double or nothing was very very poor and um, I don't think I've seen much it's like what have you done for me lately with Anna Jay and it's just a constant sort of looping problem where if they don't get reps, they'll regress, and they don't get reps, so they do regress. So I'm not as confident about an Anna J match as I would have been this time last year, for example, um, which is in there with Deeb. And ultimately, it's pretty hard to have a bad match against Deeb if she doesn't get lost. Which she can do against an opponent who's similarly inexperienced. If she can be patrolled by Deeb, then Deeb's a very good wrestler. Well, she's an incredible wrestler, but she's particularly suited to get the best out of Anna Jay. Um, who's really good at selling, who's good at emoting, who's good at fire, it's got really good comeback. Like the ingredients are there for something great, but I'm not sure if the form on the part of Anna Jay is. Um, but of course, well, actually, we'll we'll play the game once Hanford's given us thoughts on how the match will go obvious yeah. winner obviously but you know sometimes that needs to
2: happen yeah but you know that there's a direction here for Serena deep currently and it isn't for energy I think I'm pleased that they've chosen energy she's um racking up the pointless wins on well they're not pointless I guess because they always lead to title shots that you didn't realize could possibly happen mm-hmm. but, but in the moment they're pointless feeling is what I'm trying to say she's rag, she's racking up these fairly pointless feeling stat padders on dynamite uh, on dark and dark elevation and they're so short like she's not embarrassing herself in the slightest they're fine but they're so short and they're so one-sided that like even as reps they're not terribly functional so she's like in a tougher spot than a lot really considering where her star was at and the fact they're like she's had this ripper of a tag team bloodbath and they like turned her partner into some dude's chick like so there when tj right as their, mr crack you win the mouth (laughs) (laughs) like so she so she was kind of an unfortunate forgotten byproduct of them converting Conti into a valley basically so like she's had a bit of bad luck in that respect and i just so i'd like i'm more hopeful that this goes well and it sort of stands out as more than just a routine win and like to Sidric's point deeb's the perfect wrestler for that she's as brilliant as she is because she's got that, um, like, this is not a joke at WWE's expense, but because she's got that coaching instinct in her as well, she's quite selfless with it. So she will absolutely tear somebody apart, but in all the little ways, she'll be trying to put them over in the process. Mm. So in that respect, I hope this is, a, I hope this is like generously laid out for Anna Jay and I kind of have faith it will be. I think it'll be quite good too. Mm. Uh, Sid, you won
0: our ladies night game last week. Actually, uh, let's hit the jingle.
1: Well oh, this is late as nine, I'm thinking <laughs> uh,
0: <see.
1: laughs> what time do you think the uh, what is it the first the first note you hear of the first entrance for the match? So if they do the usual thing where it's like yeah, get Jay Cargill promo in um, <laughs> a minute after the women's match, the, the token obligatory like, women's match. If that happens before it's still the theme it's still the first theme from the first women's match so if you bear with me i shall get my phone out uh i think for my pick for the game well this is as nine i'm gonna oh. know i think it will go one hour 20 Flat minutes. Ooh. Ooh. So I think um the three way will close and it will go long. Fifty-nine seconds. So just to reiterate for the game. Well, this is ladies nine. I'm thinking
2: uh, that's my air time. 1 One thirty-six. Thirty-six. That's oh. outrageous. There'll
1: be a timing issue if that's the case that? hey, you've committed to it now
2: yeah, i mean
0: yeah i think this is going to be a brief match but i'm leaning towards more of siege in terms of i think it's going to go on well i don't think it's going to go on past 90 minutes of aw dynamite if i'm honest i'm going to go i was going to say 124 36 so i'll go for that
1: for what game
0: uh, this is See, is nice. nine, I'm uh, finally hamflets uh we are i think luchasaurus is in is in action and we are going to hear more from from christian cage what's next from him because i think it's i mean we thought it was fairly divisive but a lot of people seem to be okay with the the shots that christian cage took towards uh the hardies last week mm. um i said this last week as well not necessarily how does he lower or raise the bar, depending on how you feel about it. But where does he go from here? What's he going to shoot on next? Do you think they're going to continue doing this? Or do you think maybe this week is a is a bit of a change and it's just more of a, uh, a call-out yet again to where is Jungle Boy? Where is your hero? And look what I've got this monster doing for me now.
2: Well, I'm slightly worried the good stuff's over for a few weeks. Like, even if you didn't like the promo last week, and obviously we had our, like, issues with it, it was divisive in the way that generated discussion. And a lot of people just didn't care at all and just enjoyed his delivery. And then the weeks prior to that, uh, he was praised unanimously for how good he was at portraying this role and all the rest of it. Uh, I just think this, I, I get the Luchasaurus cane deal. I do like he's Christian's monster now and why that is we're not fully aware. And there's more to come. And I quite like that. I like there's an air of mystery about it. Cause it's, it's like an easy thing to make. You want to find out the answers to and there's going to come a point where leechosaurus has got to make that decision and he oh my god he's hit jungle boy this is like how has this happened what's chris there's loads of cool drama that come down the line as a result of all this but they've got to establish him first and what that means is like a bunch of fairly boring and functional squashes and like me and sid we were talking about this before we recorded and they told you that we're getting friggin a matt hardy match so leechosaurus yeah. like i said this last week like the actual kane matt hardy storyline was 19 years ago, and now we're getting another go of it with Matt, uh, Matt Hardy, 19 years older than he was, <laughs> for very possibly a match this week. Like, sorry, a match, a squash this week to set up the match next week, which of course Leech Soros is going to win. He's not losing to my Hardy when they eventually fight, is he? So it's that, it's got that Sean Spears Wardlow thing about, oh, like you thought he was a monster, but he's got a challenge on his hands next week with Matt Hardy. No, he doesn't. Don't work me. Like he's not got a challenge. I've got a challenge
1: on my hands, on my hands with Matt Hardy.
2: <laughs> like, so yeah, it's like they have to do this N- necessary story beats, but I'm not massively wowed by this. So maybe that's good. Maybe low expectations mean that something the match over delivers, or Christian does something really funny, or there's just a, a story development that we're not expecting. But I, my, yeah, my expe- expectations are very measured here.
1: Like, Christian Cage could come out and straddle the line ingeniously between touchy subject matter incredible delivery whatever luchasaurus could look like the biggest badass on the roster by doing some ridiculously awesome move that just looks dangerous but it's executed to perfection they could recapture the thrill of the first christian cage heel turn promo they could better it in fact and the threat that is matt hardy will ruin my investment in all of this until that particular beat is finished because my god why can't he just take some time off or something? Why can't he be part of the rotating cast? Um, Why does he have to be on TV so much? Like, end the fascination with Matt Hardy? not forever. I think he's still got something to contribute at times, Um, potentially in a backstage role. But my God, if you look at the amount of time they've sunk into getting him over, various gimmicks that just have not worked big money matt didn't really work broken matt didn't really work hardy boys nostalgia somehow didn't work because they're knackered like just jesus christ get the message people aren't into jeff into Matt Hardy, as much as the promotion is and look i get it to star familiar to fans and all the freaking rest of it if you look at how much chris startlander connected with the fans at rampage on that rel in that red velvet match and if you look at the amount of time that she's got on TV compared to Matt friggin hardy it's a disgrace it's an absolute disgrace Matt hardy isn't just a bit like Matt, Matt again in himself he's actively limiting the opportunities of others and I'm just sick of it I'd much rather have Chris that line of work the match mm-hmm. rampage again.
0: It was it's a pentacle, wasn't it? i think last week so we're we going one ring rung
1: up that ladder and like fuego or something this week uh potentially i would like to see them go into the nearest training school and just say yeah. i want the greenest skinniest most <laughs> naive looking are you sure you want to do wrestling you look at it, weird and uncharismatic trainee they have and i'm mm. obliterated because it's all my kings uh lots to look
0: forward to tonight then for night one of fighter fest let us know your thoughts on twitter at what culture wwe watch well, they can follow all three of us you can follow michael hamphlet at michael hamphlet you can follow michael sidgwick at m sidgwick. uh before i go any further actually um this is normally the bit where i plug uh Sidg's book, book i've got to do a thank you and an apology the apology is because unfortunately you know, is the reason why it might sound a little bit weird if you we haven't mentioned it before is uh, i'm recording this from home no, nothing to worry about. Just making, taking care, social distance, and all that. Uh, please do take care out there. But unfortunately, that means I haven't got my sound effects machine, so I have to do an apology and a thank you to James Fraser, who's emailed me uh, last night to tell me that Sid's book, "Becoming All Elite: The Rise of AW," which is on Amazon right now, guess how many reviews it's got, Sid? Sixty-nine. Nice. nice. Uh, so go and check that out. Go and buy that if you go over it. All all exact. This can <laughs> follow me on Twitter at Adam Wheelboom. Uh follow us all at What Culture WWE, as I said. Um, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Our NXT, but review is available right now. And uh our review of this show will drop into your feed as soon as it is released tomorrow if you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling. Uh, but for now, this has been the AW Dynamite preview. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon.